I want to share with you uh, this morning about um, building a prophetic community or building a prophetic house. And uh, I, I do, um, you know, as uh, when you're, I guess, in the role of a, of a senior leader of a, of a church or a community, um, you get a lot of credit uh, for things um, that aren't due to you. And uh, I've, I've given up constantly correcting, no, no, it's, it's us and it's them. But I, you know, I just okay. It's it's all good. I'll I'll take the credit. It belongs to Jesus. Um, but I, I just really want to uh, honor in our community. We are a, a team, uh, and we're lots of teams of people. We're a family. We're a community. But uh, but particularly for Amy and Rachel, uh, who were with us right from the beginning. Um, but just anything that you experience in this community, anything that you experience in the worship, or uh, anything that really makes up who we are, um, has come out of. Uh, these two uh, and, and Leisha and I partnering together like it really is it is team um, and uh, yeah I just, so I just really want to honor you guys for uh, for their sacrifice um, particularly in the early days um, when I didn't really know Holy Spirit too well um, so we, we're, we're a pretty kind of you know out there maybe to some charismatic community uh, when when we planted the church eight years ago i was um yeah i was a, i was just a bit different um i was open to the things of the supernatural like i you know i kind of received the gift of tongues was never really then told what to do with it um but uh, six months into uh, to planting the church um I was lamenting, you know, things weren't moving forward in the way that I was hoping, and um, it was gently revealed to me one night um, through uh, one of the two ladies that were on the stage, who I won't name particular names, um, that uh, that maybe it wasn't the problem of the people, but maybe I was the problem, um, which is always great to hear. Um, but I was, but no, in, uh, I grabbed hold of that opportunity, an opportunity for humility, and I said, well, tell me why. And, uh, and they said, well, we need, the Holy Spirit needs to be released in this place. And, you know, we can't do all of these uh, big, grandiose plans and ideas without the Holy Spirit. And so I said, well, give it to me. And, uh, and we did, and they prayed, and they wept over us, you know, because they, I just know, carried us in our, in their hearts for, for such a long time, just waiting for that moment where Holy Spirit would break out, and He did, and He has, and He's continued to. But um, but so much of what's been built has really been, you know, the the, the heart focus, the real shepherding uh, dynamic of the community uh, of what Amy has brought, and the the worship and the intimacy, that pursuit, and that real purity of the prophetic has, has come through Rachel, and uh, we've just been the stewards of um, of that and and the gifts of many in this community. But uh, so. Bless you guys. I just want you. I want you to get the credit that's due to you. So, um, a huge part of our journey, and and uh, and really one of the things that we hold dear is is yieldedness to God. We don't want to do anything that God isn't doing. Even as Jesus said, "Only do what I see the Father doing," and we've really taken that on. It's like we're going to take as long as it takes just to do whatever God wants to do. So for many, many years, it was another year of just building foundations and, uh, and letting God work and letting God build, but, but really taking it seriously. It's like, we're not going to do anything unless God's in it. We're not going to do anything unless the resource is provided. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to um, sacrifice people in order to achieve some kind of goal of, of ministry or growth or anything like that. Um, and so we've learned a lot on the journey because um, I guess we've positioned ourselves for learning. You know, when you're in a yielded place, your position for receiving, your position for learning, because God can take his time with you and sometimes like wait until you get it. Um, he's really patient, but we need to wait until we get it and then we can move forward. Um, and particularly when it comes to the prophetic and the fivefold ministry, so Ephesians 4.11, the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Um, it's just been a really amazing journey to see how that's kind of weaved uh, into our community and the kind of prophetic culture that's been built. Um, my understanding of the prophetic and the role of a prophet primarily is about covenant faithfulness to God. So as we, as we look uh, through the prophetic gifting uh, through the Bible, we see the prophets constantly calling the people back to God. 
calling them back to God. When they go wayward, it's the prophets who would call them back, call them back into faithfulness, call them back into right relationship, calling them back. It's always that redemptive element of the prophetic gifting to call the people back into right relationship with God. And so I believe that's one of the kind of primary roles of the prophetic is to draw people into covenant faithfulness with the Father. And so we see then in, in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, one of the primary roles of the, of the prophets in the Old Testament was foretelling and foretelling. So uh, speaking about what is going to happen in the future, so giving direction to the people of God, also giving meaning and insight into what has gone before, so what God had done in the past, helping them to have understanding in that process. But then we come into this new covenant reality, that we've entered into, and Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, which he calls the Spirit of truth, given to us to lead us into all truth. So we have one that is not just present with us, but present in us, dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but he is the one that is there to to continually keep drawing us back into covenant faithfulness with the Father. That's the role of the Spirit, is to keep drawing us back. So almost taking on some of that old covenant prophetic role, that we don't have to go to the prophet, but the literal spirit of God dwells in us. So then what is the role of the prophetic under this new covenant reality? Well, I think that the prophets still speak on behalf of God. They still declare his voice because even though we have the Holy Spirit, who here has ever ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit? You may have found out later. No one. Awesome. Just me. Fantastic. I'm okay with that. I'm on a journey. So we still want that prophetic voice, you know, people that would rise up, that would speak forth the things of God. Uh, But I believe as well, uh, one of the major roles of prophets in the New Testament, in the New Covenant reality, in the church, is to create prophetic culture. So to bring everyone into that understanding of that ability to hear God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And if we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we have access We are in the most intimate relationship with God that we could ever be. Literally, the Spirit of God and our spirit have come into oneness. We've been married to the Spirit of God. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Paul speaks, particularly in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14, those passages there about this, his desire that all would prophesy. Also that all would, you know, speak and and pray in tongues, but that all would prophesy. So we go from this one where the the prophets would raise up and now we're in this reality that's like, no, that everyone would prophesy. So then the role of the prophets in the church is to train and equip the body of Christ to become a prophetic people. So the prophetic gift repeats the voice of God. The prophetic gift communicates the heart of God, but it also seeks to reflect the nature of God in order to draw people into intimacy with God. So again, the outcome is intimacy with the Father. So the prophetic gift, it repeats the voice of God. So you hear from God and we speak it out. But it also communicates the heart of God. So the way that that word is released reflects it carries with it the heart of God. But also the prophets are to reflect the nature of God in their life, in everything that they do. And all of that is in order to draw people into intimacy with God. So the end game of the prophetic, again, in everything that God's doing, He's redemptive. We haven't come into the judgment season yet. So again, when we get prophetic words that are, that are carrying judgment with them, Jesus said, I've not come to judge the world. But to save it, and, and at no point have we been given an instruction that, okay, now it's time to judge. No, judgment will come. But in that time, everything that the Father is working towards is redemptive in nature. It's His heart. But we need to understand there's a difference between the foundation that a prophet lays and then the function of a prophet or the function of the prophetic. So it's not so much about what a prophet does, but about the culture that a prophet builds. So as God raises up a a, a prophetic person or maybe many prophetic people in a community and they become, kind of step into that, what we'd call the office of the prophet, their primary role, I believe, is not to prophesy, but to train the people to prophesy. So it says in Ephesians 2.19, 
says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. But it speaks here of the role of the apostles and prophets. They are there to build the foundation. So everything that they build, as they build an apostolic foundation, as they build a prophetic foundation, then everything that gets built on top of that carries naturally with it that apostolic flow and that prophetic flow. There is something significant about the function of the apostolic and the prophetic in the community, but it's a foundation. It's a foundation that affects everything that gets built. Uh, my wife and I were in the middle of building a, a new house, and, uh, and we know what is laid in the foundation can determine what can get built on top of it. So you have a poor foundation, you're going to have ultimately a poor structure. You have a small foundation, you can build a small house. You have a large foundation, you can build a large house. But it's a really significant thing, and at the end of the day, it's also not the most fantastic thing no one really celebrates when the foundation kind of gets poured. It's, it's kind of underground stuff. But it's incredibly important because without it, the whole structure falls apart. So you've got the apostles and prophets, they come and they lay their foundation. And I believe we can take that out of the scripture of the foundation that's been laid by the apostles and prophets so we can draw out of the scripture wisdom and truth. But still today, there's apostolic people, there's prophetic people, there's apostles and prophets that come into regions or into churches and they build that apostolic and that prophetic foundation. So then what gets built on top of that reflects the nature of God and has that... um, Okay, so the apostolic is... Um, is the, the missional dynamic, the movemental element of the church. It's, the, it's fathering and mothering. It's that oversight kind of culture. Um, but it's that really that missional dynamic. It's the expansion of the kingdom of God. And the prophetic then, if you take primarily, is the covenant faithfulness to God. It means everything that gets built has that flavor in it, has that DNA intertwined. So we don't get off course and I believe for generations we've been off course. And I would trace it back to kind of Constantine where it, the church went from being a missional movement to being a kind of cultural religion in that way. And we lost the apostolic and the prophetic. So we're talking a long time that God is in the process of restoring those things. So which means then a lot of the church that, that we see exists is built more probably on the foundation of pastors and teachers or evangelists than it is on apostles and prophets. So then we see the nature of that reflected in the church. The structure that gets built is primarily about gathering people and speaking at them. What's the church? Well, we call, we call the time when we get together church, which has no grammatical tie-in to the scripture. It's never called church. It's the church which is the gathering, the ecclesia, the kind of ruling governmental spiritual body in a, in a region, in an area, in a nation. But we think church is get them in a room and speak at them for a while. Because it's built, the church is built, the modern church is built on the pastoral, which is the gathering, the teaching, which is the communication of truth. And then we've added the evangelistic element, so then we try and make all of that really palatable to people who don't know Jesus. Does it sound like modern church to you? Yeah, what's it about? Getting more people, as many people as possible, into the room at the same time, having really, really good teaching, dynamic, but making it palatable so more people can come in. And tick the box, we've done church. We've like, we even used that we? we do church. You can't do church. Like, I don't go and, and when we have dinner today, I'm not doing family. Oh, where'd you go today? I went to family. Well, you had lunch with your wife and your kids. Yeah, no, no, we, we gather together as a family. You know what I mean? Like, I know I get a bit mental about language and all that sort of stuff, but it makes a difference. But if, again, if we don't understand that if the foundation isn't right, then what gets built isn't right, but we're finding ourselves in this place and it's really hard to break out of that. So the people who do church the best are ultimately the most successful in ministry. But is it impacting the nation? I've read reports, and obviously there's more research done in America, but they reckon with the rise of the megachurch in America has had less impact. They're having less impact on society 
than before that. Because Jesus never came to build a megachurch. He came to, to release disciples into the nations, the leaven of the kingdom. And when you release leaven, you can't get rid of it. It's everywhere. It's immersed into culture. And we have culture wars between the church and, and secular society. As soon as you enter into a, a battle, at that level, maybe at a governmental level, at a political level, at a societal level, you've already lost the battle. Because culture has raised up against the values of the church, which means the church hasn't influenced the culture. But we think, oh no, we've got to hold fast to these values. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a, a role in, in the political sphere, in the business sphere, in the educational sphere. Absolutely, we should. But if we think we're going to win the battle at that level, we've lost. It's too late. We're supposed to be the leaven of the kingdom, infiltrating every part of society. So it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the cornerstone in the building dynamic is the first stone that's laid, that's built, and everything else gets measured off that cornerstone. Height, width, depth, everything is measured off that cornerstone. So Christ is the cornerstone. So then everything gets built, it gets built on an apostolic and prophetic foundation, but everything that gets built in the church should reflect the nature of Christ. If it doesn't look like Jesus then it ain't his church. And again, my passion, my kind of reformer's heart is like, man, there's just so much messed up stuff going on in the church. It's like, how are we going to change and transform society when the church is in a complete mess? So we spend a lot of time just getting people whole, cleaning up messes. Ooh hours upon hours wrestling just cleaning up mess messing people's lives in their relationships and i mean we're not clean up we're helping people to be responsible for their lives but it's like that's where the rubber hits the road if we can't get a right at that level how are we going to lead a nation how are we going to disciple nations as jesus called us to we ain't moving on so some of the uh, so there's the the role apostles and prophets the foundations so, so some of the functions of the prophetic would be you know the revelation gifts and and all the stuff that Jen's talked about prophecy words of knowledge intercession all of that sort of stuff kind of comes under um, those functions of the prophetic gifting in the church because uh, the prophetic and this is one where I think it can get confusing for people the prophetic is a gift and all of the their Holy Spirit gifts. Okay? So they're released by the Holy Spirit to the body. And it's not really dependent upon how mature you are, how skilled you are, how wise you are. A, a fool can prophesy under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, a broken person can prophesy under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Okay? And it's for all the believers to have that. Okay? And it should be. When you are a young, new believer, you should be getting trained to prophesy. And hearing from God, because it's an intimate connection and, and outworking. So we have the functions of the prophetic, but then we also have this office of the prophet, the Ephesians 4.11. And these are some of the things that prophets build into the foundation of a community. As I said before, covenant faithfulness. A desire for intimacy with the Father, closeness with the Father. Not God over there or just you know God the instructor, but God the Father, God the lover obedience to the voice of God. The idea that it's God first and us second. That God is not, uh, you know, our fairy godmother in the sky, you know, there to, to, to do all of the things that we need Him to do. It's a presence focus. Uh, Honouring God over people. Yeah, who knows that prophets stir up trouble sometimes when they do that. Yeah? But that's become part of our foundation where it's like we will do things that people don't like because we're being obedient to God yeah there's, and there, that means there's a lot of inconvenient things that happen in your life and in the life of your church because you're being obedient you give you lay down opportunity because you want to be faithful to the father so just because I, I love you know Bill Johnson says just because God opens the door doesn't mean he wants you to walk through it but when you're being faithful and obedient to the Father, you see all of the open doors and you go, okay, Lord, we, 
That'd be really, really good. That'd be a whole lot easier going that way, Lord. You sure? That path is laid out. It's straight. I can see the end. And you want me just to head off into the jungle? You sure, Lord? I can think of a better way. You know, when we gather, we gather for God and not for others. So we have a flavor. In, in the worship time, I mean, there was stuff that Rachel was singing out this morning. You know, what was that line that you sung? The last one. If I breathe in and I breathe out, let it be with your lips on my mouth. You can feel it, man. That's what, if that's what the Father's saying. So, you know, that's good. But, you know, we gather, we gather around the Father. Like, we gather around God. We're here to meet God. We're not here to, to make it palatable for people. And this, again, is another, this is really about the, the apostolic foundation of the church that when we gather together, we're, this is a family meeting. And so people who don't know Jesus, they probably won't feel comfortable here. Um, but it's not my job to evangelize your friends. It's not my job to disciple the people in your workplace. That's your job. That's your responsibility. And that's a choice that we've made. It's like, we're not going to take care of the evangelism of this church. Because that would be taking away responsibility from people, and that makes people immature. Even though I might be able to do evangelism better than you. If you're not evangelizing, it's because I failed to equip you to be an evangelist, to evangelize. If you're not prophesying in our community, it's because we've failed as the equippers to equip you to be a prophetic people. Anyway, so the primary role of the prophet is not to prophesy or even, or even to raise up prophets themselves. It's part of the role, not the primary role, Brad Joss believes, from the Bible. Um, but rather is to lay a prophetic foundation of covenant faithfulness and intimacy with God that all other ministry is built upon. So the prophetic gift isn't built. So anything that's not built on a prophetic foundation will get distorted. And even the prophetic gifting, if that's not built on a, on a prophetic foundation, it'll get distorted. You can have people that prophesy. They're not prophesying the heart of God. They're not even covenantly faithful to God. They're living in their wayward and in sin. And yet because they've received the gift of prophecy and they can speak out accurately, they think they're doing the right thing. And yet it's just a, a noise. So Paul talks about it. it's a gong. Like I don't know how many times you've gone to see live music and there's been a gong player on the stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not a common instrument. It's not really a nice sound. Um, I'm sure it has its purpose, but uh, uh, yes, calling people for food. So prophecy is a gift from Holy Spirit, but prophets are a gift from Christ. And we read that in Ephesians 4.11, so that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. So we need a prophetic DNA in our church, churches. Not just the prophetic gifting, so not just a whole lot of people that can prophesy, but people who understand what is the DNA of the prophetic. What is the DNA that's supposed to be fluid? So then as we prophesy, we're prophesying in the right kind of way. So prophets will raise up prophets. Prophets will teach people to prophesy. But that's secondary to creating a culture of a God-first people. Amen? So true prophetic ministry reveals and manifests the heart of God and the nature of God and not just the words of God. So again, as we're training our people to, to be a prophetic people and to prophesy, we want to make sure that we're reflecting the heart of God and the nature of God. You cannot prophesy an accurate word from God if the heart and nature of God is not present. Because who understands even the attributes of his nature are designed to be manifest. When Moses called for God to show him his glory, what did he say? Well, like, well he can't, you can't handle my glory, but I'll let your goodness pass before my eyes. We sang it this morning. So goodness is an is a attribute of his nature, and yet it was manifestable. Is that a word? It is now. Write it down. Start sharing it with your friends. 
It'll catch on eventually. You know what I mean? Like the, the attributes of his nature, his goodness. Mo- Moses saw his goodness. I don't even know how you do that. Like I can understand a glory cloud and sparkles or gold or something like that or smoke, but his goodness passed before him. So the very nature of God is designed to be manifest. In the prophetic, we're there to reveal the heart of God and literally manifest the very nature of God. That's what gets imparted. That's what gets received. That's the word of God, that bread of life, that rhema reality of God. That's Christ himself in spirit form being released because he is the word of God. So if we don't prophesy with the heart of the nature of God, it's not that the person won't receive the word, um, but they won't get the fullness of the word. So they might understand, okay, yeah, I know I have instruction, but I don't have impartation of the fullness of that, the grace to walk it out. You know, to prophesy, when we talk about, you know, doing things in the name of Jesus. Um, and I know sometimes we can think like, I've just got to make sure that when I pray or when I prophesy, I add on in the name of Jesus, and it will qualify things and make it holy or righteous or something like that. It's like the magic word. Like, oh, you forgot to say in the name of Jesus. Oh, sorry, in the name of Jesus. Oh, cool. Now it's going to work because we've, you know, we've said the magic word. Um, but the, the name of Jesus is the nature of Jesus. So, when, you know, when, to do something in the name of Jesus, to do it in the nature and the character of Christ. So when we prophesy in the name of Jesus, it means we're doing so in the nature of Jesus, which means if you can't prophesy in the name of Jesus unless you're carrying and walking in the character and the nature and releasing the heart of the Father. You can prophesy. I just, you just can't call it like in the name of Jesus. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Great, absolutely amazing. So when we hear and we speak, we see him doing something, we come in and and we partner with that. Absolute amazing truth, important part of the prophetic. But Jesus was also, which I think is more profound, the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in everything that Jesus did, he carried the nature of the Father. He was the exact imprint. And guess what you're called to be? The same. It's profound, I know. It might seem like, oh, but I'm, I'm far too unrighteous to be that. I, I know, that's what the grace of God is for. It's the empowering presence of God for you to walk in righteousness. Which again is a whole another sermon that I'm very passionate about. Is this understanding that grace is not a covering for your sin. So I stumbled, oh, praise the Lord for the grace of God. If you had the grace of God, you wouldn't have stumbled in the first place. Because the spirit of righteousness is there. (laughs) The grace of God, that empowerment for righteousness, when you're at the precipice, about to cross over into sin, and you say, God, give me the grace so I can turn around and walk the other way. You need the mercy once you've crossed over. Once you've stumbled and fought, God, I need your mercy because I didn't use your grace. Not in the notes, freebie. <laughs> you know, the thing we really focus on then, because the nature of Christ needs to be contained, that's all in the heart. That's a heart issue. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. So we need heart transformation in order to walk in the true intent of any aspect of our calling, but in particular, the prophetic calling. And I do think, you know, because it's like a supernatural gift and it kind of wows people, people can walk in their gifting and not walk in the nature of Christ. They can walk in unrighteousness, but they get promoted because they have this gifting. The gifting doesn't qualify you. It just doesn't. If the well is messy, the word will be messy. And that's our job. God will increase your gifting. God will increase your anointing. God will give you wisdom. God will, you know, do all of that sort of stuff. Your job, clean up the well. Clean up the wellspring. So as that word of life is coming out, it's not getting tainted by all the junk that's in your heart. All your bitterness, all your rejection. If you're a prophetic person going from church to church to church and everyone's rejecting you, can I just say that maybe... 
you're the problem. (laughs) Maybe your wounding is part of the problem. And this is one of the things, you know, like a rejection wound is a projection wound. It's just one of those wounds that seems to project itself out onto others. But actually, if we dealt with the wound, we wouldn't carry it around with us. And so we wouldn't encounter it as much anymore. Again, it's not in the notes, another freebie. You guys are being blessed this morning. <laughs> Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's something of this pursuit. And again, I think we've kind of, if we don't understand that we have received the righteousness of Christ, that as we've come into a new creation reality, we have been made right with God. But now the journey of our life is working out that salvation. It's allowing God to work to bring transformation, not in order to get right with God, but to get closer to God. And I don't mean closer, I mean the Holy Spirit lives in you, but in intimacy. Because all of that unrighteousness is a blockage. All of those things that you run to, even that we, some of the things that people came forward to deal with last night, those addictions, those places of false refuge that you run to that aren't the Father, all of those things affect intimacy. And then particularly for the prophetic gifting, it's going to impact your ability to hear purely. Purely. You all heard it. That's not how he normally says purely. Purely. Sounds nicer though. More pure maybe. You know, there seems to be a trend in the, in the modern church where we've, we've set up environments to draw people in with the hope that they might encounter God. So we make the church attractive. We make the people attractive. Uh, with the hope that others will then find God attractive. Okay, that's the hope. It's like, well, if we, if we do things that the culture likes, then hopefully they'll come along and they'll have an opportunity to hear about God and encounter God. So the end game is like, yes, yeah, spot on. Awesome. We want people to encounter God. Okay. Problem is, church hasn't been built an apostolic foundation, so you don't understand your missional responsibility as an apostolic person to go out and to release the kingdom and to make disciples and to all that sort of stuff. So all we're left with is now, we've got a building, we're going to make it nice and draw people in, because that was what Jesus did. <clears throat> so one of my issues with this is that I, I don't believe that God needs a PR and marketing team. I reckon he's pretty beautiful. I reckon he's pretty attractive. He's the desire of the nations. Okay? So when we don't reflect his nature, we make him ugly because <laughs> we are the ones who are supposed to be reflecting him. So, But we kind of maybe think that somehow we need to make God more palatable for people, make him more relevant. But in doing so, God's most relevant parts can get taken out of the equation. So his glory, his power, his love, his righteousness, his holiness. Let's just lay some of those more, you know, confronting things to the side and we'll just get them in and get them to meet God. It's like, but they're not meeting God. They're meeting some watered down kind of facade of the Father. So they're not even meeting, they think they are. This is my issue again. I got lots of issues. (laughs) I'm just realizing as I speak to you this morning. Yes. Holy discontent. That's it. Qualified. But you know what? We, we, we lead people in the sinner's prayer. And I'm like, I'm all good that somebody prays a prayer of commitment to Jesus. But nowhere in the Bible do we see that that's the point of new creation. When the Holy Spirit comes in and makes his home, this transformation, new life, that's when it happens. And that can happen anywhere, anytime. But what we think is like, oh, you've prayed a prayer. You're a Christian now. You've, it's like you've met Jesus. Go about your way. Hopefully you, you stumble into holiness and righteousness and all that sort of stuff. It's like, but we miss it because we, we, they haven't even met the Father. They think they have. So we've sold, it, sold them short because we've really wanted to have the numbers. 180 salvations this year. Exactly. 
you know, you go to a big crusade or a big event, and yeah, we had 480 people give their life to Jesus. I'm like, cool. But like, did they meet him? And then who's, Jesus didn't make converts. He made disciples. He called people into covenant relationship with him and said, come and follow me as I go. And he released everything that was in him. That was the role. Again, this isn't in my notes. You guys are just like, you're drawing it out of me. But all of these attributes of his nature, his glory, his power, his love, his righteousness, his holiness, etc., etc. These attributes of his nature are what brings about transformation for people. And they represent him best. That's what I want when somebody comes and encounters the Father. I want them to like really encounter the Father. I would rather have the presence of God and no people than a room full of people and no presence. I said, I would rather have the presence of God and no people than a room full of people and no presence. I've got a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians and God's like, I'm not invited there. And you know what? We, 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 we flow in, in the worship. It doesn't mean that people rock up with no songs. You know, we, we sometimes we don't preach a message because the worship takes over or prayer intercession. It doesn't mean I haven't prepared a sermon. It doesn't mean, you know, we, we care for people. Like we don't just worship for days on end and with no concern for, you know, for people and they have jobs and those sorts of things. So we're not talking about complete structurelessness and we just go with the flow. Everything organic has structure. Okay. My body has struck. Mitch found out a couple of months ago doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu that his arm only bends this way, not that way. Okay? Organic, but structure. Okay? So it's meant to keep things in order. But, but that's what we want, like to have a place where, the, where God wants to dwell. And prophets create an environment where God feels most welcome where he is honored and glorified, where his presence dwells abundantly. The environment comes as the whole community, though, walks in their prophetic identity. Everyone has to own it. We can't go, well, I hope the prophet gives me a word today. No, you're, you're a sheep. Your job is to hear his voice. Now, you can ask the prophet, can you train me to hear the voice of God? Absolutely. But if you wait around, that's what a baby does. Feed me. Nurture me. I had a word um, last Sunday in our, in our worship that came to me, and it's like, God has not prepared a breast for you. He's prepared a feast for you. <laughs> I say awkward things like that sometimes. But that's the reality. You're not an infant anymore. You're not on the milk. He's putting a feast before you, but you've got to get up and eat. All right. So if you look at the fivefold ministry, given the gift of the prophetic. But the role then of the fivefold is to equip the saints. And that word equip is not just about training. It's about, it's like a chiropractic adjustment, bringing things into order, into right alignment in the body. That's what the word means in the Greek. So the fivefold ministry is about bringing the whole body into order. It's about um, increasing spiritual maturity, oneness of the faith. But the ultimate end game is to become, that the people become like Christ. So it's oneness in Christ and oneness with Christ. So I like to boil down the role of the fivefold ministry into this, that it's the one in Jesus gives the five in the fivefold to make the many like the one. So the one gives the five, and those five attributes, they're attributes of his nature. Jesus is the ultimate apostle, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate evangelist, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate teacher. But he splits himself up into five in order that those five would equip the whole body to come into oneness with the one in Christ. So the end game of the prophetic function in the church or of a prophet in the church is to make you like Jesus, not to make you like a prophet. Really important distinction to make. Otherwise, you can have a whole lot of prophets in a church and none of them look like Jesus. Or a whole lot of evangelists in a church and none of them look like Jesus. A whole lot of teachers, they don't look like Jesus. 
but it's the five working, partnering together to bring the whole community into that place of maturity, oneness, intimacy, unity, and then ultimately to reflect the very nature of Jesus. Prophets don't just build prophets, they build prophetic culture. They build the intent behind the word, not just the word itself. Your end game is to be a great son, not a great prophet. That's the end. That's the end. Sonship. You know, a healthy prophetic culture determines how we worship. It really affects the entire room. Our corporate gatherings require everyone to be engaged. And now, so I talk about us gathering because I do think that it's important for us to come together as a family and, and to worship together, to learn together, to grow together. The majority of our time is spent outside of the corporate gathering, so it's important that we understand, like, this is, you're all in full-time ministry, okay? Um, just in different places. But one of those things that the environment starts to shift in a room when everyone comes in saying, I have a prophetic gift, I have something to offer. I'm, I have an evangelistic gift, I, I have a teaching gift, like I have a shepherding gift, I have an apostolic gift, like I'm all part of that because I'm being formed to be like Jesus. And because the firefall then is releasing responsibility, they're not saying, well, I'm a prophet, so I'll do all of your prophesying on your behalf. Bring your friends to hear the prophet. Round up, round up. You know, but we do. I mean, we go to we go to places, and we want we want the prophet to prophesy over us. I mean, I love getting prophetic words, and there is something of the accuracy, and sometimes there's significance on it. So I'm not saying that prophets shouldn't prophesy. I'm just saying the primary role, like Jen's here to equip us, so that when she goes, whatever she has stays, because it stays in us, because we've received it and we walk in it. When we understand our responsibility in the corporate body of Christ, it starts to shift the whole atmosphere. So there's a freedom in worship because everyone's coming and going, I'm a worshiper. We're on it. You know, we've had, we've had times, and it, it happens, it's happening more and more regularly, where you've got like a worship leader up here, and the room ends up leading the worship time. But that's like, cool, that's a marker of maturity right there. When the room is determining, because everyone's in that flow together, in unity, the Spirit of God is speaking, everyone's hearing, they're going, this is where we're going, and you're up there and you're going, okay, this is where we're going, like, like I'm just going to turn around and you can, you know, propel forward, like, but that's, that's, that's what maturity looks like, everybody taking responsibility. But it means then again, everybody taking responsibility for their purity, for their heart journey, not blaming other people, not blaming other people for their offense. Not blaming other people for their rejection. I'll throw it out there for newbies, but one thing I love to say is your offendability is not my responsibility. If you're offended because you've got an offendable heart, Jesus didn't have an offendable heart. He had a pure heart. He had a righteous heart. That's why he could hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's your end game is to be even crucified before people and to pray that prayer of the Father. Bless them, Father. Forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. But what does offense do? Disconnect. Builds offense, literally. Keeps them out. We stand. We judge. Freebies all around. Everyone gets a car. You get a car. You get a blessing. You get a word. Like Oprah Winfrey up here. So what is our part to play in then building this prophetic house, this prophetic community? Well, it's important that we're all learning to listen for the heart of the prophetic, listening for the heart of God, being trained to hear what God is saying and partnering together with that. Taking responsibility when you receive a word, praying into it, carrying that sort of stuff, carrying the corporate. It's giving value to intimacy with God. And that, again, is primarily in the personal. That you're taking responsibility. like, I'm going to do my journey. No, I'm going to read my Bible for this amount of time and, you know, say this much prayer and 
do this and do that. It's like, no, no, it's, it's putting yourself before the Father and pressing in. You might not read anything of your Bible. You might just sit with him. You might just crawl up on his lap and just lean your head on his chest and just listen to his heartbeat. But you've got to take responsibility for that. And this is one of the things, like if you're a leader here of, of a church or you're a leader in a church community, I just want to really encourage you, please don't take away people's personal responsibility. Because I believe one of the reasons why we have such an immature church in the nations is because we've infantilized the church. We've made them like infants. We've taken away so much responsibility. We say, no, 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 don't, don't you disciple people. We'll run a discipleship course. Two weeks, you'll be like Jesus. Yeah, wow. Disciples took three years, 24-7 with Jesus, and look how they turned out. Yeah? You reckon you can accomplish that in a two-week course? Like, jeepers. The anointing is strong. Um, that's what it is. Like, it's everyone taking responsibility. So I don't know, that's right, it's my job to make disciples. It's my job to bring the kingdom of God into my workplace or into my family or into my neighborhood. That's my responsibility. But we've created this kind of corporate dynamic where the church has robbed people of the joy of doing that journey with God. Yeah. We said, oh, don't you worship. We'll take care of all your worship needs. Just give your money. Come along and find somewhere to serve and we'll, we'll, we'll be responsible on your behalf robbing people of the opportunity to grow, robbing people of the crucible of the heart journey, of going through the fire themselves and coming out on the other side with the gold, with their own gold, not someone else's gold, their own gold. You know, that joy is like, I made that. Jesus and I, we went through a journey. I thought I was going to (laughs) die, but we made it through and look what I have. <laughs> I didn't buy it at a store. I didn't get it from someone else's journey. This was me and Jesus. We did it together. If you have or you feel like there's a prophetic calling on your life, so even in the fivefold, you, you'll, you'll feel like one of those elements might be more prominent for you. doesn't mean you're a, a prophet. But it means you might have a strong prophetic calling or you have a desire to equip people. But please get around people that are going to help you to journey with your heart. I say to people, it's like if you've got a prophetic gifting, get around a shepherd. Because they'll help to clean up your heart. They'll help you to journey through your brokenness. They'll help you get healed and whole. So you then can reflect the nature of Jesus when you prophesy. That, that the very anointing of God won't be the thing that destroys your life. Okay. The anoint, God's gift to you can be the very thing that destroys you because you can't handle it. And we see this all the time. Leaders of churches with thousands of people falling morally. Another way that we help to build... A prophetic house is to be a passionate worshiper. And again, God wants the the worship of your heart. But being free in that place, let him use you. Let him move you. Let him use your voice to do what he wants to do in a place and in a room. And ultimately, one of the big things we need to do, Galatians 5.24, is crucify your flesh and all its desires. I'll just leave that one with you. No worries, take that away. That's not a freebie, it was in the notes, but um, still good. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father God. We just thank you, Father God, that you're just bringing a shift, Lord. You're bringing a shift in the body of Christ, bringing us back to that place of covenant faithfulness to you, Lord, and even releasing right order in the role of the prophets in the church, Father. Father, fivefold is not a, um, it's not a high and lofty place. It's a low place, Father. It's the place of servitude in the kingdom. Paul understood that 
as that foundation layer, as that apostle. He was the, he was the low place, Lord. The ultimate place of humility, Father. So even God, for those of us here who might desire to, to walk as a prophet, Father, let us weigh up the cost. Even some of the stories that Jen has shared with us, Father, it's, there's a cost, Lord. There's a cost of being the one that would be used by you, Father, to birth other people's blessing, to birth other people's breakthrough, God. But that's who we are as, a, as an intercessory people, Lord. But as we yield ourselves to you, Father, you'll choose to use us, Lord. You will give us the privilege of carrying somebody else's baby. Of being that surrogate for someone else's breakthrough, Father. Being the surrogate for the breakthrough of a nation and for many nations, Lord. But we say, and what I say, and if you want to join me, Father, use me. I'm willing, Lord. Because we want to see your kingdom come, God. We want to see your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, Father, you deserve that, God. You deserve that, Father. And Father, I pray for those here this morning who on their journey in the prophetic and discovering who they are, Father, they've suffered wounding, that they've suffered that rejection, Lord. But Father, where it has taken root, God, where there's bitterness in their heart, where there's brokenness and pain, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come to draw them to a place of repentance, Father, where there's been judgment on those who have hurt them, where there's been judgment on those who have accused them, where there's been judgment on those who have wounded them, Father. We just say, Lord, we repent for our judgment, God. We repent, Father, for the words of cursing that are spoken out even in our heart, Lord, because you heard them. And Father, we invite you in to heal those areas, Lord. That we would no longer be the walking wounded, Lord. We might carry the scar, but the wound would be healed, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.